All right, good morning, good morning. <clears throat> good to see you this morning. Um, as, you can, as you can tell, uh, I completely lost my voice. I didn't just lose my voice, I have been like super, super sick for two days in bed. So I was like, but I want to be here with you this morning. So, um, you know, I guess working with 40 middle schoolers, you're going to catch some nasty germs. And so I have a whole new level of respect for teachers. Shout out to the public or private or whatever you do. Homeschool moms, I don't care who you are. Shout out to you, man. You guys are the best. Holy moly. I'm never working with those middle schoolers ever again. Ever again, man. Those gremlins got me sick, dude. Anyways, hey, um... I told myself this morning when I rolled out of bed, I said, <laughs> I said, I can do this. I can do this. You can do this. I can do this. You know, sometimes you have to just pump yourself up, you know? And um, I didn't go for the, the normal Diet Coke Sunday morning to give me some caffeine. So I don't know. This could be a 20-minute message. I don't know. You're just, here's, here's what you're going to do. You're just going to suck it up and you're gonna be okay, and go home and read the Bible, and have your own devotion with Jesus. All right. All right, okay, I'm, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. So today's a little different. If you're a first time guest with us today, and this is really why, I'll be honest with you, this is the God's honest truth. I wanted to be here today because I knew we were gonna have families that came to Vacation Bible School, and I wanted to be here for you, right? And um, so if you're first time guest with us today, thank you for being here now. Here's the disclaimer. It's a little bit different today. Typically we do message notes so people follow along. I was just too tired to, to get those together, all right? Normally do, we do PowerPoint. I was just doubly tired to do PowerPoint. So um, I don't know. I don't know. Pull out a piece of paper or something. I don't know. <laughs> Pull out your Bible. I don't know. We're just, we're going to. We're gonna grind through this together, but wasn't worship so awesome this morning? I got, to, um, I got to hear in the back, we got speakers in the green room, so I got, to, uh, I got to participate sick all by myself. But um, hey, I wanna encourage you to pull out your, your Bible, uh, whether it's a smartphone, I don't know, dumb phone, your, your Bible, turn to Romans 8, 28. <clears throat> we are going to be talking about a verse that I believe is a, a game-changing verse for your life. Um, if you can understand and embrace this by faith, this will radically transform your life. You will not look at sufferings and setbacks and trials and the hurts of life the same. Not that I'm saying it's gonna be a cure, because it's not. It's not, gonna, it's not gonna cure those things. But it's going to renew your mind, it's gonna change your mind by faith, believing that no matter what happens, God has a bigger plan. He has a bigger plan, I don't understand it, and it can cause grief, it can cause so much pain, but you just know that God is big 
and he's glorious and he has a plan for your life. The Bible says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that promise? That's a promise. So if God, the creator of the universe who spoke and the planets, galaxies, stars, mountains, oceans, valleys, land, Garden of Eden was formed, that God said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And if he's never gonna leave you, if he's never gonna abandon you, it doesn't matter what comes your way. He's with you. He's for you. He's not against you. He has a plan for your life. There's some wacko, jacko Christians that will tell you that God just, you know, he just wants to punish you. They see, they see God as some Greek mythological figure and he's carrying a big stick and he's just waiting to whack you. He's waiting to zap you with some magical power. The Bible, Jesus tells us that God is a father. Maybe you had a bad example of a father, but a, a good godly father is one who is tender towards his kids, disciplines, but tender, right? Can balance those. Protection, provision, presence, right? Gracious, kind, forgiving, just at times. So here's the game-changing verse, Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Let me unpack this um, verse for you. This is not a universal promise. It applies only to believers. This is for those, notice in the verse, this is for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The Bible says all things work together for good. Not that all things are good. Not everything is good in your life. People are gonna sin against you. People are gonna hurt you. People are going to abandon you. People are gonna sin against you. People are gonna do some really terrible, evil things towards you. And those things are not good. The Bible is really clear about that. Not everything is good. And there's some things that are just pure evil, pure sinful. But God, I want you to grasp this. But God is in his infinite wisdom and unwavering love. He takes all of that bad. And somehow, we don't fully understand we don't fully see it, but somehow he turns that bad into good. He turns the failures of your life into success. He can take the tragedies of your life and turn it into triumph. He can take the sufferings of your life and, 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 and turn it into joy. You know, the Bible's very clear about you know, bad things are going to happen to good people. You know, and, and honestly, let's just, let, I mean, let's just, let, let's be really honest. Like, actually, there's no good people. There's no good people. I, I, I'm a bad pastor. You're a bad Christian. There's no good people. We're all bad. 
We're bad, we're broken, and, and we need Jesus. Even when you come to faith in Christ, that old sinful nature is still there, that dragon. That dragon roars up, you know? I mean, the, the, the dragon of, 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 of our sinful nature kind of rears its ugly head. And then you like, the Holy Spirit checks you on that. And then you like, your, your, your spirit just wilts. Because you're just like, what did I do? Or why did I say that? But God allows sufferings and trials, and there's a purpose to it all. You know, James 1-2 says, count it all, joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You know, it's not, it's not if you're going to encounter, it's when. So I'm going I'm to give you, you know, I'm going to give you some, um, some points. You could write it down or you can just listen. Um, point number one, I'm going to give some, I'm going to kind of try to package the message this way. Um, God is not the creator of evil and suffering. God does not create evil and suffering. Now, lots of people will say, well, why, why didn't God create a world where there was no evil and no suffering? And, and the simple answer is, he did. He did. He did create a, a perfect environment, a perfect earth, a perfect world. Um, Genesis says that when God created the world, it was good. So the question is, where does evil come from? Right? The Bible says that when God created Adam and Eve, you know, mankind, he created them with a free will so that they could express love to him and they can express love to one another. So here's what Adam and Eve did. They, they took this free will and this freedom and they chose not to love, not to obey God. Ultimately, that is sin. Sin is when we choose not to love God, when we choose not to obey God. When God's clear about something and you know, option A, this is clear, this is right, this is holy, and we go option B, that's sin. Sin is actually an archery term. You pull back the arrow, you miss the bullseye. The bullseye is God's perfection, God's holiness, God's glory. God says, I want you to hit the bullseye, but the problem is we don't hit the bullseye. We never hit the bullseye. We've never hit the bullseye. We are sinners, completely broken. Um, so, when it, when it comes to love and, and, and freedom, it's impossible to truly love unless you have a choice. And I actually kind of unpacked that weeks ago about love is a real value to God. And God gives us the ability to love him. He gives us the freedom to love him. So when we, when we choose not to love him, we choose to disobey him. Now, he created the potential for evil and suffering because it was the only way God could create the potential for genuine goodness and genuine love. Now, it was human beings in our free will who brought that potential evil into reality. So James 1.13 says this, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So when you're facing a temptation, just know it is not God who's tempting you. It is the enemy. You know, Satan, he is the father of lies. He, his mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. He's going to steal what God's given you, right? He wants to destroy your life. That, that's, that's the purpose. I mean, the end game 
is for the enemy to take you out of the game. For Satan to take you out of the, the game, the, the walk, this walk of, by faith, this, this Christian journey. And so God did not create evil, suffering, nor death, our final enemy. Um, he did create the potential for all of it. Here's point number two. God knows everything that will happen. God knows everything that will happen. That means that God is omniscient. That means that, that he's all-knowing. He knows the beginning and the end. There's never a time when God has said, oops, what? Never saw that one coming. Let's go with option B. God is never surprised by what happens to you. Never surprised. He's never surprised. He sees it coming before it's coming, right? He's not limited uh, by time or space like us. God is timeless. So here's the reality. God can be in the past, present, and future all at the same time. Now, if you think about that, for any amount of time, that's just gonna absolutely wreck and blow your mind. But this is, this is who God is. He's eternal, he's infinite, right? He's a big, glorious God. Past, present, future, he's omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing, everything. Anyone ever been to the Rose, Rose Parade in Pasadena? Okay, I've never been. I've always just kinda occasionally watched it on TV. Um, the amazing thing about that is when you go to the Rose Parade, there's just so many floats, right? Sea of people. All you can see is what's directly in front of you. But if you go up in a blimp, and sometimes they'll show an aerial view of the Rose Parade from the vantage point of a blimp. If you go up in a blimp, your whole perspective changes because now you can see the beginning of the parade to the end of the parade. God is like the blimp, right? He sees the beginning to the end. He sees it all from beginning to the end. So we have to understand that in, in the context of suffering and pain and setbacks, God knows everything that's gonna happen to you. Right, and honestly, that should comfort us. Here's another point, God allows suffering in our lives. You know, the Bible says that God has a, a perfect will and God has a passive will. And you see this play out um, all throughout the scriptures. God's perfect will is he decrees things, he ordains things, right? It's his perfect, awesome will. His passive will, he allows things to happen, right? He filters things through his hands. Things that happen to us, like um, the life of Joseph, the life of Job, all these different people. And the passive will is filtered through his perfect will. I mean, honestly, thank God you know that song. I can't remember the song title, but... Um, or maybe this is the song title, Good, Good Father. Like, he's a good, good father, you know? And because he's a good father, he, he filters things in our lives, not to ruin us, not to destroy us, but to build us up, to conform us to Christ, to grow us up. 
right? So that we might be holy and righteous and we're his people. God's doing this work in our lives. You know, sometimes we can't see the hand of God, you know, in our lives. When suffering comes into your life, you can't see God's hand, but you have to just trust his heart. When suffering rolls into your life, what is your typical response? I'll tell you what my response is, why? God, why is this happening? Why God? Why me? Why now? You know, why is our first reaction why? Because we don't know the answer for the why. We don't understand um, the why, for the why that, why the trial showed up on, on our doorstep. It's completely unknown to us, but it's known to God. And so we have to remember, even though it's unknown to us, it's, it's completely known to God. And so instead of focusing on the why, we shift to start, we start focusing on the duration of the trial. How long, God, are you going to allow this in my life? But here's the thing. When it comes to the whys and the duration, here's something you have to remember. Focus on what you know, not on what you don't know. When you're going through a hard time in life, I don't care if it's bankruptcy, cancer, um, a wayward child, a prodigal child, you know, no longer are they walking with God, or uh, loss of a job, maybe financial ruin, maybe health problems, I don't care what it is. Listen, in the midst of the suffering, focus on what you do know, not on what you don't know. And that is, when you start focusing on what you do know, here's what you start doing. You start understanding or you start believing by faith who you are in Christ, your identity, your true identity. Who are you in Christ? Right? You're forgiven. You're adopted. You're sanctified. Right? You're justified. You're a child of the king. Heaven is, is your home. Right? All these promises, the Holy Spirit lives within you. And God's, he, he who starts a work is going to finish the work. You've been sealed under the day of redemption. You're loved by God. You're forgiven by God. You start claiming these promises. You're like, man, you know what? Focus, focus on what you do know. Focus on who you are in Christ and what God is doing and, and what God can do in your life. Don't focus on what you don't know. Because if you start to focus on what you don't know, Fear is going to kick in. You're not going to live by faith. You're going to live in fear. Here's the next point. There are some things in life that you'll never understand. There are some things in life that you will never, ever, ever understand. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law there are secret things that are hidden from us. God orchestrates, God allows, things happen. But then in the same verse, he says, there are some things that are revealed to us. This is the goodness of God. Some things God has revealed to you, that's his goodness, right? The, the Hebrew word, Hesed in the Old Testament is the closest translation to the New Testament word grace. This is God's 
hesed. This is his loving kindness. This is his grace. God, think about it. Let's just, God could have kept everything a secret from us if he really wanted to. But he's allowed some things. He's revealed some things to us. You know, the Bible tells us that God's ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And so, I think in life as believers, I really think one of the keys to the Christian life is surrender. I really do. And I think surrender is open hands, open heart, open mind, and you say yes to Jesus. Jesus, what what do you want to do in my life? Where do you want me to go? What do you want me to give? Where do you want me to serve? Who do you want me to share the gospel with? Open mind, open heart, open hands, and quick feet, right? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. I think surrender, surrender is a very, it's a very difficult thing for us because surrender involves sacrifice, right? Romans 12 talks about literally giving our lives, presenting our bodies and our lives as a living sacrifice. Well, I mean, it's a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. So, I mean, you're kind of like, well, this is kind of an oxymoron. Well, the point that God's making is, listen, you're living, and that's how I'm going to use you. I want you to surrender and get on the altar. Give me all of you. Give me 100% of you, and I can use you for my glory. You know, the point that I was making is that God... Um, some things are secret, some things are revealed. You know, God has a, a bigger perspective on things than we do. We, we don't see God's perspective. We see it by faith in the word, but we don't really see the details and how it's played out in our own lives. You know, maybe you're praying for something and you're not getting an answer or something tragic happened in your life. God, the top-down perspective that God has, well, the top-down perspective that we should have is that when things happen in our lives, we claim Romans 8.28 as a game-changing verse. Okay, God, I don't understand what's going on right now in my life, but I'm going to trust you. See, I think, that's, I think that's when the rubber meets the road in the Christian life. When things aren't going your way. Are you going to trust God? Are you going to believe God? Are you going to continue to say, God, you are good, you are gracious, you are faithful, you are kind, and I'm just, God, I'm I'm taking your hand. Lead me. The storm is raging, God. I'm I'm believing that you're walking on the water and you're coming towards me, and you're going to rescue me, and you're going to keep me safe, right? Or you can have this bottom-up perspective in life. And you can go back to the why, which eventually shifts to the duration. But the why, we, we, we hang out in the, the, the why aisle of the grocery uh, store of life a lot, right? We hang out in that aisle a lot. Why God? Why me? You know, what are you doing? Why are you allowing this in my life? Why are you not stopping it? You know, if you love me, you would do something about my pain. Let me say this. If you believe that God is great enough to stop the suffering in your life, then you 
believe that you have a God that is great enough to have a perspective on suffering that you don't have. And that's a good thing. Because God does have a perspective on our suffering that we don't have. You know, there's no such thing as meaningless suffering. You know, sometimes we can't explain the why, but there's purpose, there's meaning. And I think that changes our suffering. Here's the next point. Suffering conforms us into the image of Christ. It conforms us into the image of Christ. So the game-changing verse is Romans 8, 28. Look at verse, um, well, I was going to say look at verse, but there's nothing to look at. All right, so uh, Romans 8, 29 says, For those whom he foreknew, um, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So this is the next verse after Romans 8, 28. This is verse 29. And verse 29, you know, without, um, <laughs> without chasing this theological conversation about Calvinism and Arminianism. Does God choose you? Do you choose God? Here's the deal. You know what my advice would be on all that? Here's the deal, man. Just let it go. Just let it go. You know what? It's a full-on mystery, right? Now, do, am I more, do I lean one way more to like Reformed theology? Yeah, I do. But I like what Charles Spurgeon said. You know, he said, you know, um, it's like when he looks down, you see a, a railroad track. And the railroad track is God saves and man chooses and then in the distance, you, you don't see, you see it as one, not two. And I thought that was really good. I heard that years ago. And it resonated with me. All right, so I'm kind of chasing it. And I told you I wasn't going to chase it. But um, here's what this verse is saying. At the end of the day, and let me just say this, the squabbling and the bickering about well, unconditional election and tulip and Calvinism and the five points of Calvinism and which and then Arminianism, they you know, uh, you know, man man chooses and here's the deal. At the end of the day, both systems come to the same conclusion. And you know what that is? Salvation is of the Lord. God God is the one who does the saving. So whether you choose or God chooses. He's the one who saves you. He's the one who changes your heart. Okay, so verse 29. God, verse 29 is telling us that God chose and he placed his love on us. For what purpose? Why did he pour his love on you? Why did he choose you? But Ephesians says before the foundation of the world. Why? What's the end game? That we would be conformed to the image of Jesus. Walking with God isn't head knowledge. I actually had someone tell me, Months ago, he said, I, I really didn't like when I first heard you say that, that the Christian life isn't about head knowledge. He said, that really rubbed me the wrong way. And I said, well, that's good, you know? It should rub you the wrong way. Because as believers, we think head knowledge, head knowledge, head knowledge. Yeah, how many Bible studies can I go to? How much, how much information can I intake? But the Christian life is about obedience. It's about doing, obeying. Right, when I say doing, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying legalism here. I'm saying obedience, action. Love is demonstrated in action. Walking with God is, means to be Christ-like. You, you surrender 
right? You place your life on the altar. You undergo a, a spiritual heart surgery. You experience life transformation. You, you grow up. You grow up and, and you be just like Jesus or you try to reflect him in your life. You know, anybody remember, I'm gonna date myself here. Anybody remember um, the Michael Jordan Gatorade when it first came out? I wanna be like Mike. I wanna be like Mike, you know? You know what's so amazing? You know, all the kids these days, you know, it's Kobe, it's LeBron, all these players, but they're all wearing Michael Jordan sneakers. <laughs> you know? It's like, go figure, right? But I want to be like Mike. You know, it's a really catchy commercial he did with Gatorade. It was really good. Um, that's the goal of the Christian life. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. I want to have more of the fruit of the Spirit in my life. The way he loved people, I want to love people that way. The way he shared the, about the gospel and the kingdom, I want to be like that. How he loved people. How we reached to the downcast and the outcasts and the hurting and the lonely and the broken. Jesus was all about people. Man, that's, that's, that's the goal. That's the goal. Here's the next point. God uses bad circumstances to bring about good, good ends. He uses bad circumstances to bring about good ends. You know, God promises every believer that he will bring good out of every piece of pain and suffering and tragedy and bad circumstance that you will experience during this lifetime. Now, that is a big time promise right there. How can God do that? Because he's a big God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, this amazing promise played out in the life of Joseph. We don't really have time to walk through all the details of his life, but we know that he was, Joseph was one of 12 brothers, right? And he was, he was daddy's favorite, right? Parents don't have a favorite. I'm telling you right now, you have a favorite, you are, you are calling on the dysfunction into your family. You're calling that on. Don't have a favorite. I mean, that will wreck your family so bad. Well, you know, Jacob had a favorite. Joseph gave him a robe of many colors. We know that he had these fascinating dreams that his family would bow down to him, and I don't think his brothers really liked that. And at the age of 17, they sold him into slavery. We know the story. He goes to Egypt, right? He's a, uh, he manages the, the estate of Potiphar, high-ranking official, second-in-command to Pharaoh. We know that Pharaoh's wife lies about Joseph raping her, He's thrown in prison. He interprets some dreams. They forget about him. Two years goes by. He interprets these dreams. They forget about him. He has an opportunity to, to interpret Pharaoh's, uh, Pharaoh's dreams. At this point, he's 30 years old. His brothers go down to Egypt. His dad dies. The family's reunited. Joseph finally sees his dad again. I mean, it's been like decades. Jacob dies. He breathed his last. And now you have this confrontation between the brothers and Joseph. And his brothers are terrified, like, man, he, 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 he's, he's going to execute us. I mean, it, it's life's over. Dad's no longer here to protect us. But Joseph said to them, do not fear, for, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good 
to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph said, am I God? No, I'm not God. I'm not the judge. I don't, I don't, I don't sit you know, in, in the seat of the judge. I don't have a gavel in my hand. And so I can't execute justice on you. You know what the amazing thing about Joseph is? He's not bitter. Rather, his heart was so tender to God. I don't think I could have done that. His heart was so tender. His heart was tender because he was a changed man. He allowed God's grace to change him. And this is a valuable lesson. It's not what happens to you. It's what happens in you. That matters the most. Are you allowing God to shape you, to conform you, to change you? I think that's one of the most powerful statements in all the Bible. This is another game-changing verse. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You meant evil, God meant it for good. I mean, his brothers and Potiphar's wife, they were designing evil, but God was designing good. His life was spinning out of control, but it was God who was doing the spinning. Right? When we face problems, when we face the, the problems of life, you can either be bitter, you could be angry, like bitter. You could play the victim card. You know, you can, you can just, um, you know, cultivate, just harbor that, that, um, that searing anger, that, um, that boiling resentment in your heart. You could be bitter. Bitter towards God, bitter towards people, or you can be better. You can allow God to soften your heart rather than harden your heart. You know what? I think when it comes to facing problems of life, you got to lean into God's understanding. Don't lean into your own understanding. If you lean into your own understanding, you're going to lean into bitterness, resentment, an unforgiving spirit. You're going to be critical. You're going to be nasty. No one's going to want to hang out with you. But if you lean into God, he'll melt, he'll melt your heart. He will change you. He will allow you to see people the way he sees them. Okay, I got I to gotta land the plane because I'm not feeling too good. Here we go. Here's the last point. Our earthly suffering pales a comparison to our eternal home. Our earthly suffering pales in comparison to our eternal home. Um, there's a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Doesn't always seem light and momentary. Can I get an amen on that? Doesn't always seem light. I mean, doesn't, seems heavy. Doesn't seem momentary, it seems like it's permanent. The duration is gonna be a long time. Anybody looking forward to the weight of glory? The weight of glory. Just think about the weight of glory, the weight of the glory of God, the weight of the glory of heaven, the weight of God's presence, the weight of the glory of God. So what he's saying is there's no comparison. It's no comparison. Romans 8, 18. 
For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So when you face problems, when you don't understand what's going on, God's in control, and guess what? Have the long view perspective. Long view perspective. Heaven, literally, is right around the corner. You don't think so? It just seemed like yesterday. I was playing AYSO, soccer league, elementary. I was an elementary kid. Just the other day, I was going to summer camp. Just the other day, I was dating my beautiful wife. Just the other day, we, our firstborn was born. Just the other day, just the other day, God sent our family here. Thank you, God. <laughs> Went from Bakersfield to San Diego. Let's go. If you don't believe that there is a God, that proves there's a God. No, but for real though, I, I want to I end with this. I want you to listen to me. This is so important. Heaven is right around the corner. And so, I'm going to challenge you to do something. You ready? I'm going to challenge you this week to go to someone after you've prayed for boldness and courage. I want you to go to someone that you love. Family member, friend, co-worker, grandma, grandpa, mom, dad, sister, brother, cousin, uncle, aunt, Whoever God has put in your oikos, I want you to go to them this week and I want you to share your testimony with them. I want you to go to them and say, can I share my testimony with you? Can I share with you what God has done in my life? And here's the reality. They're not gonna say no. They will say yes and they will hear you. And you tell them that there is a God that loves them, that can forgive them, and that can give them purpose in their life. So that's the challenge. I'm gonna do it this week, and you're gonna do it this week. Because listen, heaven's right around the corner. First Corinthians 2.9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Heaven is prepared for those who love him. Let's pray.